Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you could head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe to see the visual version every Wednesday or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts for the audio version every Tuesday. But for today's case, we're going to be talking about the case of Anna Backmeyer. Now, there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Marianne Backmeyer was born on June 3rd, 1950 in Sir Dest in West Germany. She was an only child to her mother and father and grew up in a refugee camp. Her and her parents fled to Germany shortly after World War II from East Prussia. And it was said that she grew up in a very, very strict household, especially her father. Her father was very strict, kind of dictatorial. But although her father was super strict, he also had a lot of substance abuse issues and would frequently be drunk all the time when he was at home. And then when he wasn't at home, he was at the bar. And later down the road, her father's drinking habits would just get worse and worse to where he would relay that anger onto her and her mother. And so Marianne grew up just getting abused by her father and watching her mother kind of just stand beside and not do anything until her mother did eventually divorce her father and she remarried to a guy named Paul. Her stepfather, Paul Wise, was a pro wrestler as well as a truck driver, but unfortunately not so different than her actual father. Paul was also very abusive and he was also a very heavy drinker and so due to her abusive household she tended to rebel a lot as a teenager. She would stay out late, she would go completely against her mother's religious beliefs and her stepfather was just as strict as her birth father was. Her stepfather had very, very strict rules around the house to which Marianne never abided by. She would sneak out of the house very frequently. She would stay out late. She wouldn't even really go to school. And then at the age of 16 years old, that is when her parents found out that Marianne was sneaking out to see a boy. And because of this, Marianne was kicked out of the house. And then in 1966, she decided to move out with her boyfriend because she she had been kicked out of her house and she had nowhere else to go and whilst living with her boyfriend she grew pregnant with her first child but although her stepfather was extremely tough on her her mother tended to have a soft spot for Marianne and so her mother actually bought Marianne and her boyfriend a motel room that they could stay in for the time being like while Marianne was pregnant and she would also go over to the motel every day and bring Marianne and her boyfriend food and water and things to do and so she lived there for her whole nine months of pregnancy and then when she actually did have the baby the mother was able to convince Marianne's stepfather to allow Marianne to live back in the home but when she moved back in it was not a warm welcome she couldn't get her room back and there was also no room in the apartment to raise a child and so she was forced to have her baby sleep on the kitchen table every night 
And so shortly after this, Paul couldn't deal with Marianne living there 24-7, so that is when he took Marianne and her child to a home for unmarried mothers, and while she was at this group home is when Marianne and her boyfriend broke up and Marianne became a single mom. With everything going on in her life, with her being in a group home, with her having no father figure for her child, with her not being able to go back home, she just felt super lost and she just felt like she was not in the right mind state to be raising a child and so that is when she gave up her child for adoption. And then at 18 years old in 1968, that is when Marianne was living at home with her mother and stepfather and that is when she got a new boyfriend and grew pregnant with her second child. But unfortunately, this new boyfriend would not last long. Shortly after she grew pregnant with their child, they actually broke up with one another. And after the breakup, there was this incident where they had a fight and the father of this child ended up just like dropping off Marianne on the side of the road. And so she was hitchhiking, trying to find someone to help her. And when she actually was picked up, she ended up being sexually assaulted by this person not only did her and her boyfriend, the father of her newborn child, now break up, she also has to deal with the trauma of the sexual assault and she also has no place to live. And so because of this and because of her circumstances, when this baby is born, she gives them up for adoption immediately. And it was shortly after she gave birth to her second child and gave them up for adoption when her stepfather had actually passed away due to cancer. And so since her father had passed away, that is when Marianne was able to move back into the home with her mother. It was during this time where she was living with her mother where she would find another man named Christian. She would fall in love with Christian but then very quickly fall out of love with Christian and she really wanted to get back together with her ex, the ex that dropped her off on the side of the road. She really really wanted to go back to him and so then she did and then when she did go back to him she ended up getting SA'd by him and so because of this she was very very distraught and so she ran to Christian for comfort. But although she ran back to Christian, her and Christian's relationship was not anything better than what she had with her and her ex. Her and Christian would get into constant fights about everything. And then in 1972, that is when Marianne started working at Christian's bar. Christian was the owner of a bar called Tabasa, which is basically like a bar and grill, and he was the manager of it. It was like a family-owned establishment and so he was able to get Marianne a job there and while she was working there is when she would grow pregnant with her third child, Christian's child, at the age of 23 years old. And then on November 14th of 1972, that is when Marianne gave birth to her and Christian's child and named her Anna. But unfortunately, right off the bat, Marianne had some very terrible parenting skills. Since Marianne worked at a bar full-time, she would only work nights, leading her to be awake during the night and sleep all day. And since, as I said, her and Christian would frequently get into these fights, they were very, very on and off, and Christian had even threatened a couple of times to just leave her and Anna all together and have, like, Marianne get full custody of Anna so Anna isn't his responsibility anymore. And so because of this, Marianne was kind of forced 
forced to just raise Anna by herself and she would frequently bring Anna to her night shifts at the bar which is really really bad for a baby like a baby is supposed to have a set sleep schedule but even the times where Anna was awake like if she was awake during the night her mom or dad couldn't even tend to her because they were out in the bar and grill area working all night and then during the day if Anna ever needed them again both of her parents would be sleeping all day so there would be no one to help her and so because of this as Anna started to grow up she was kind of just forced to raise herself but it's not like Marianne wasn't aware that this was an issue she was very well aware of her problematic lifestyle and there was even one point where Marianne had met a foster family that asked you know Marianne if they could foster Anna for the time being because clearly Anna is not in a ideal situation there was also a couple people who frequented at the bar and said that they would always see Anna sleeping on the bar stool she would be sleeping on the benches outside she would be sleeping on the tables like she basically lived in that bar but Marianne did decline this offer for a foster family when Anna was seven years old. But friends of Marianne would also say that it was kind of odd that Marianne would turn this down because Marianne basically treated Anna as if she was an adult, even though she was just seven years old. She expected Anna to, you know, understand and do all of her responsibilities. She expected Anna to cook for herself, to make her own bed, to bathe her, and basically just, you know, take care of herself. Anna would frequently spend all night uh, sleeping in the back storage room while her mother, Mary Ann, tended to the bar and partied with her friends all night. And so, unfortunately, this behavior did leave Anna to a place where she couldn't have a childhood. She was kind of forced to grow up and mature quickly in order for survival. She would cook for herself, she would clean herself, she would hold herself accountable with school and managing school and her homework and all these things. As I said, since Marianne was treating Anna like an adult, Anna acted like an adult, Anna would talk like an adult, and so because of this, the two of them would be getting into constant fights. It seemed like since Marianne grew up in a very strict household, she was also kind of relaying those same ideologies onto Anna, expecting her to, you know, know her responsibilities, do what she needs to do. A lot of people at the bar would often say they were also watching her eat scraps from the bar as well because they didn't really have much food there. It was mostly just all alcohol and appetizers. And so that's basically what Anna lived off of. And so since she wasn't getting any sleep at home because she was being forced to stay up all night at the bar. She would fall asleep very, very frequently in the middle of class. And so since she was falling asleep all day in class, her grades began to suffer to the point where she just didn't want to go to school at all. And again, at this point, she is just seven years old. So in like second grade. And so on May 5th, 1980, that is when Anna and Marianne very early in the morning got into an argument about something 
something. And so this argument was so bad that Anna, she left the house and she decided to skip school that day. She left her house and she was planning on walking to her friend's house, but when she walked to her friend's house, she realized that her friend was at school and she didn't want to go to school. So instead of going to a friend's house, she just started walking around town and tried to entertain herself. And this was not something that like was odd or anything. Anna would frequently walk around town and just try to find things to do to keep herself occupied because as I said, her parents were either sleeping or working all the time. But as Anna was walking around the town, unfortunately, Anna would never make it home that day. As I said, Marianne wouldn't wake up until like the late afternoon and so typically she would wake up around like 5 or 6 p.m. But on this particular day, she had woken up a little bit earlier because she actually had a photo shoot for a magazine. She had this like renovated Volkswagen that uh, like a magazine wanted to do an article about. So she went to this photo shoot and then when she came back from this photo shoot, that's when she realized that her whole child was not home yet. So once she realized that Anna was not home, she started to call around to people. She called the bar, but no one had seen her. And so that is when she called the police to file a missing persons report. She was putting up missing persons posters, she was putting up flyers, numbers, she was talking to news outlets and neighbors. And then the next day on May 6th of 1980, that is when a woman comes into the police station a day after Anna disappeared to tell the police that her fiance the day before had confessed to her about the murder of Anna Backmire. Her fiancé was 35-year-old butcher Klaus Grabowski, a.k.a. Anna's neighbor. Klaus Grabowski was 35 years old and he was a butcher and a neighbor of Anna. And Anna had actually went to Klaus's house one time before. As I said, Anna would just frequently walk around town. And so on this one particular day, Klaus had invited Anna into his apartment to play with his cats, to which that's exactly what happened. They went up to his place and all they did was play with his cat. And so Klaus's fiance tells police that the day before, Klaus saw Anna just walking the streets by herself like she typically does. And so when he went over there to say hello, uh, Anna explains like the situation that she was in, that she got into an argument with her mother that morning and she was just kind of walking around town trying to figure out what to do. And that's when Klaus was like, hey, do you want to come upstairs and play with my cats again? To which Anna, of course, since this is like a neighbor that she frequently goes to, this is someone that she trusts and so she says yeah and the two of them go up to his apartment and then Klaus's fiance hands over the police a note that Klaus had wrote for her that day saying that he is dying to give his fiance a hug and he will be waiting at this specific restaurant at this specific time for her to show up and so the police read this and immediately that day they go to the restaurant at the specific time but they're kind of like on a lookout so that they could arrest Klaus. But when further reading the note and what it said, what the note actually was, it was an invitation to go to this restaurant, but it was also a written confession. Klaus had written on this note that he had put Anna's body in a cardboard box and then he put that box onto his bike and he drove his bike to a nearby canal and that is where he buried her body. 
The police staked out in front of the restaurant waiting for him to show up and then eventually he did and Klaus was arrested. But when Klaus was arrested and interrogated, he tried to give the angle that he killed Anna out of self-defense. Be so forgetful right now. He said that Anna, a seven-year-old girl, was trying to blackmail him and seduce him into doing what he did. Klaus said that Anna told Klaus that if he did not give her money, then she would go to her mom, Marianne, and tell Marianne that Klaus had touched her inappropriately, but out of fear, he says, that when Anna was sitting on like the living room couch chair, he took his fiance's pantyhose and choked Anna to death from behind the chair. He says that Anna did struggle and actually fell off of the chair during the struggle, but he eventually did strangle Anna to death. When the police went to the canal, they did find the remains of Anna and she was zip-tied in a cardboard box. When the body was discovered, Marianne actually had to go to the coroner's office so that she could identify the body, but Marianne refused to go. She just told police that she, you know, believes them in that this is her daughter. And this was not the first time that Marianne would make a very questionable choice during this. Marianne also never spoke to the police really. She only spoke to them a couple of times but they were very brief. She didn't want to talk to the police. She didn't seem to be distraught. She continued working after this. It seemed like she just wanted it to be gone as quick as possible. But when the police were interrogating Klaus, they clearly knew that Klaus committed the crime and they actually started to do a little bit of background check on Klaus. And what they found was that that this was actually not the first time that Klaus had essayed a young girl. Klaus was actually a convicted sex offender and had previously been sentenced to jail for the SA of multiple young girls. In 1973, he was charged with attempted murder of a six-year-old girl after trying to SA her, but she was able to run away. As she was running away, he chased after her, he strangled her, but she was able to break out of his grasp and run away again and at that point Klaus gave up and went home but he was later found and arrested. And then I'm assuming he didn't really get much jail time for this because two years later in 1975 he was arrested again for the SA of two nine-year-old girls and to this he wasn't placed into jail he was placed into a psychiatric hospital and this was requested by Klaus as well he said that he felt he needed rehabilitation for his quote abnormal sexual instincts and without treatment his actions will be repeated. So because of his urges towards young children, he was given a chemical castration. And so a chemical castration, for those who don't know, is basically like a reversal sex drive. So you have no sex drive, you have no sexual desire. And so because of this, they were hoping that if they got rid of his sex drive in general, it would protect the public against him, which is crazy because isn't that what jail 
jail is for? Isn't jail supposed to be the place that you keep people away from society? But nonetheless, he was only in that rehab center for 30 days until getting released with absolutely no parole, no monitoring, just as if it never happened in the first place. And it was also later on shown that Klaus, shortly after being released from the rehab center, he underwent a hormone treatment to try and reverse his castration. So bring his sex drive back again as if nothing happened in the first place. And then on March 3rd of 1981, a year later, that is when Klaus's trial began and it was said that Marianne was at the trial. She sat front row and throughout the entire thing, she was screaming and yelling at Klaus from the stands. Klaus's team was still going with this self-defense approach and basically said that it was not only self-defense, but he also killed her due to his hormone imbalance after going through chemical castration but the prosecutor said that his chemical castration was his choice to receive those things he was very well aware of the consequences and the downsides of it but he had waved everything away and so that was his choice to receive the chemical castration and then furthermore try to reverse it with hormone therapy and then after the court going back and forth with Klaus's team and the prosecutors, it was at this trial where we learned the actual happenings of that day of May 5th. On May 5th of 1980, Klaus said that he was just sitting at home looking out his window and that is when he noticed Anna walking all by herself. So he ran downstairs, he went up to Anna, he asked her, hey, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be in school? And Anna tells him that she had a very, very rough morning with her mom. They got into a really bad argument and she's just not in the mood to go to school. And so she was just going to explore the city until it got dark outside. And Klaus told Anna, well, you're a young girl you shouldn't be out here all by yourself something bad could happen to you how about me and you go upstairs and we can play with my cats like we typically do so Anna agreed and the both of them went upstairs but unfortunately when Klaus and Anna went upstairs they did not end up playing with Klaus's cats because Klaus was still like claiming not guilty up until the very end and so because of this he never gave the true story of what happened but from the autopsy of Anna and also just like the crime scene of his apartment, it's believed that they did indeed go up there and play with his cats for a little bit, but unfortunately, Klaus would begin to sexually assault Anna for several hours. It was believed that during the assault, Anna tried to run away multiple times, and then a specific time where she was able to break free and run away, she was able to get some distance before she was forced to sit on the chair in the living room, and while she was there, that is when Klaus started to panic because he realized what he had done. He realized that Anna was obviously going to go home and tell her mom about this, and he was going to go back to jail, and so his solution was to take his fiance's tights and strangle Anna to death as she was sitting on the couch. 
And the prosecutors to this made it very clear that this was clearly not self-defense because he had no defensive wounds all over his body. And at the end of the day, he is 35 years old. Anna is seven years old. And he's also a convicted sex offender. And I don't think Anna was aware of Klaus's, like, background <laughs> prior to meeting him. So this clearly sounds like a story that Klaus made up. But Klaus still claimed that Anna was the one who insinuated it all and she was the one who was blackmailing him. And then he said that after he knew that Anna was dead, he said that he tied her body up with zip ties, laid it in a large cardboard box, drove that cardboard box down to a nearby canal, he dumped her body into that canal, and then rode his bike home. And then that same exact night, he felt so guilty about his actions during the day that he confessed every Thing to his fiance, and then the next day, when his fiance woke up, she found that note on the table, and Klaus was gone. And so that is when she went to the police, and then the police went to the restaurant. Klaus was there, and then he was arrested. And so it seemed like from what was going on, this is the third time that Klaus is getting arrested for the sexual assault of a young girl. It's clear that the psychiatric hospital didn't help him, so jail a hundred percent is going to help him because he's a threat to society. He should not be out on the streets because he's even said himself that if he is not fixed, he will act up again. And so it was believed that he was going to get a while in jail, but considering his last two offenses and even an attempted murder charge, he is still not in jail. So it was very, you know, up in the air of what was going to happen. But this story did make big headlines because because of this guy like still being out on the streets as a sex offender and offending again. And then on March 6th of 1981, this was day three of Klaus's trial and Marianne walked into the courtroom with a big green coat and she sat in the front row like she had for the past three days. But it was on this particular day where Marianne, she was a little bit more quiet than usual. She didn't really speak or yell as much as she usually did and during the trial she had gotten up left the room for a couple minutes and then came back in and then when she came back in she sat down and then at around 10 a.m that is when marianne randomly got up walked straight to klaus pulled out a Beretta 70 semi-automatic pistol and shot klaus in the back seven times only six out of those seven shots actually hit Klaus, but as soon as he was shot, he was dead on the scene. After she shot him seven times, she dropped her gun and immediately put her hands in the air, waiting to be arrested, and said, quote, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to shoot him in the face. Unfortunately, I hit him in the back. I hope he's dead. Klaus immediately fell to the floor and was attempted at giving uh, medical attention, but he did indeed die on the spot, and there was blood all over the courtroom. I mean, immediately when this happened, everybody was there. Like, the jury was there, the families were there, everyone was there, and so, like, not only were people stunned because they heard these loud gunshots go off seven times, but they also see pools of blood and splashes of blood 
all over the courtroom and everyone is immediately asked to leave. And so now we enter into a little bit more of an interesting part of the story where I've never done like a trial within a trial. So Klaus's trial obviously just went cold because he's dead so there's nothing really to um, pin him for and so now his trial then turned into Marianne's trial. While Marianne was awaiting trial, unfortunately her mental health started to decline very rapidly. She was struggling with PTSD from the situation and also from losing Anna. She says that she was filled up with so much anger and frustration because she just couldn't sit there and listen to Klaus spill lies about how her seven-year-old daughter had blackmailed him and seduced him. She just said that it got all so overwhelming that that is why she decided to do what she did. While awaiting her trial, she actually tried to off herself five times and refused to talk to any psychologists or any police officers. Instead, she just kept to herself waiting in jail and awaiting her trial. And then she was serving in jail, but then she was switched to a mental hospital halfway through. On November 2nd of 1982, the following year, that is when her trial began and there was tons of cameras and news outlets because this was a very, very big story at this point. A lot of people were supportive of Marianne. They said that, you know, only mothers will understand, but what she did was a justice by getting him off of the streets and ensuring that he doesn't do this to anyone else because he's done it twice before and now a third time. And so chances are he will offend again. A lot of mothers came to her trial too with signs they were talking to news outlets and a lot of them were wondering why Marianne was even getting arrested in the first place. Her trial lasted 25 days and it was a lot of going back and forth on was this a justified killing or was this just spur of the moment because not only was she killing a terrible person, she also traumatized about 50 other people that were in that room that day that had to witness this man just die in front of them and also dealing with, you know, the loud noises of the gunshots. Nobody asked for that. All of those were just innocent bystanders. And so that is what it was for 25 days straight. Everybody just going back and forth. And also while awaiting trial, Marianne, as I said, she had tons of fans and she was also receiving a lot of gifts. And she even received a bouquet of flowers with a note that read, quote, for you from a grandfather that would have done the same. You are not alone. Courage. But all of this love and appreciation for Marianne, she was basking in it. She felt like a hero. People viewed her as a hero. People felt like what she did was completely righteous. But once people started to realize Marianne's backstory and that this action was not taken by like a loving and attentive mother, it was actually a very neglectful mother that didn't even realize her child was gone until later on that at night. And so this is what made people even more kind of skeptical on if they should be supporting Marianne or not. 
a lot of people were finding out about Marianne's past. A lot of people who frequented at the bar started to speak to news outlets saying that she barely took care of Anna. Anna and her got into a lot of arguments. They would see Anna sleeping on benches, sleeping outside, roaming around the town with no adult supervision. A lot of people weren't seeing this anymore as revenge of a mother who loved her daughter. They were now looking at it as a mom who didn't care about her daughter until her daughter died. And in my personal opinion, this part is kind of, you know, I'm very 50-50 about it if Marianne did the right thing by killing him. But at the same time, I again feel like there was so many innocent bystanders in that situation who now have to go through like therapy and PTSD of what happened that day. And so I think it was extremely unfair to everyone else in the room that had to witness something like like that. And I also feel like, you know, killing him didn't really change anything. It didn't bring back Anna. It didn't make about any new laws or any new rules. There was no positive movement that was coming from this. And we actually don't know what his sentencing would have been. So if he would have gotten life in prison, then he would have just spent his life in prison struggling for the rest of his life instead of just slipping away into a peaceful death. So I do feel like it was more spontaneous and spur of the moment than anything. But I would love to hear what you guys think down below. I'm not really a mother, so I can't really like speak too loudly about this, about like how I feel about it and if Marianne did the right or wrong thing. But I would love to hear what you guys think about it. But at Marianne's trial, psychologists said that the day before uh, Marianne shot Klaus, Marianne actually had a dream where she saw visions of Anna in a courtroom and Anna was watching everything that was going on in the courtroom. And in her dream, she said that Klaus made a statement about how Anna had manipulated him into doing all of these like very sexual and graphic things. And she got so angry in her dream that she just got up and shot him with a gun that was in her pocket. Now, this was all a dream that she had. So the next day, she decided to make those dreams into a reality and actually shoot him for real. When the court tried to argue if this crime was premeditated, Marianne said that it was not premeditated and that gun she kept on her 24-7 and she even had that gun at Anna's funeral because she just felt very unsafe with all of the, you know, publicity that the story was getting. She just needed to protect herself but it was just on that specific trial date where she decided to actually use it. And after she was arrested, Marianne was asked to give a handwriting sample to which she wrote, quote, I did it for you, Anna, with seven hearts for the seven years. There was also some speculation at her trial on if Christian, Anna's father, could be involved in this situation because Christian and Christian's family attended the trial for Anna. And after Marianne shot Klaus, Christian yelled out, quote, she did it. She actually did it. And so that kind of infers that maybe he knew about Marianne's plans prior to it. And then in the moment, he was surprised that she had actually went 
through with the action. But even though he said those very suspicious words, he never testified at her trial. And then after 25 days, that is when the judge had made a conclusion that Marianne was not a threat to society and deemed the murder as simply spontaneous and a result of the trauma she was enduring by the court details and the death of her daughter. But although she was not a threat to society, she still needed to pay the consequences for her crime. And so on March 2nd of 1983, Marianne was found guilty of the murder and sentenced to six years for premeditated manslaughter. And after her sentence was given, a survey in the newspaper was given out and they found that 28% of the public thought the sentence was appropriate, 27% of the public thought that it was harsh, 25% thought it was light, and 20% was undecided. And so it seemed like the majority of people thought the sentencing was appropriate. Anna's father, Christian, actually attempted at suing the doctor that gave Klaus the reverse on the castration, the hormone therapy, because as um, they were saying during the trial, that could have played a role in why he reoffended. But it also showed that even if you are a sexual offender and you go to the hospital to like get treated, there is a way to reverse that treatment. So there is a way to pretend as if that didn't happen. And so he was trying to sue the doctor that did that. But unfortunately, that lawsuit just didn't go anywhere. And then in 1986, Marianne was released after only serving three years of her six-year sentence. She was then put on probation for two years and 10 months. Once she was released, that is when Marianne decided to have a whole rebrand for herself. She married a German teacher and moved to Nigeria with this German teacher, but in Nigeria, they later got divorced. She started to live around Nigeria for a couple of years until the 90s. She decided to move back home to Germany, but when she moved back home to Germany, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And then in 1994, knowing that she was going to die soon, that is when she started to do more and more radio and TV appearances. And at this point, it had been over 10 years since the incident had happened. And so now she was going on like radio shows and TV shows talking about what happened. She talked about her daughter and she also talked about the day that she killed her daughter's killer. She said that she put it into very careful consideration consideration of the murder of her daughter's killer. She said that she's very sorry it happened, but in the same breath says that she felt a wave of relief once she found out that Klaus was dead. She says that she has never and will never regret killing Klaus, nor will she ever forgive him for killing her daughter. During the final stages of her life, she actually hired a reporter to document her final months. And it was during this time where people really started to question her real intentions about everything because the documentary, like you would think that it would have to do a lot about her daughter, but this documentary literally just showed her doing things like gardening, getting her hair done, going to like her chemo treatments. It was just 
more about her than it was what she had done or like her daughter at all. She briefly talks about her daughter because she has like pictures of her around the house. But other than that, it's mostly about her and people were very confused. It kind of made people think that maybe Marianne enjoyed the spotlight too much. And this documentary just made people feel like Marianne cared more about what the situation had given her rather than the actual situation itself. Because there was so many outlets that Marianne could have taken after that. Like after she was released, she could have started like a nonprofit organization or joined up with an organization to speak about the injustices for our children, about the issues of how sexual offenders and pedophiles get to just walk free while traumatizing others on the street. She could have put into motion some things where like sexual offenders, uh, their names have to be available to the public, how there should be laws against reversing your chemical castration and how there should be steps taken through through that, but instead Marianne did none of that. Even though she was released three years early, she instead just decided to move to Nigeria and pretend like nothing happened. And then when she was close to death, that's when she was like hoping for people's attention again. There was honestly so much more she could have done, but she didn't. And so that's what made the public turn against her a little bit. And then on September 17th of 1996, that is when Marianne would pass away way to pancreatic cancer. As far as the aftermath of everything, when Marianne was asked if she wanted a single or double grave for Anna, she said that she wanted a double grave and said, quote, it is for Anna and me. Soon I will be with her. And so when she had died in 1996, she was indeed buried in the same grave as Anna. There were a bunch of friends that were coming out after the fact of like little statements and little weird things that Marianne would do. And one friend even said that prior to the murder of Klaus, Marianne would take her pistol to the basement of the bar and perform like target practice down there. And they clearly knew that she was doing target practice because they heard the gunshots. And even to this day, we don't really know why Marianne did what she did. Was it premeditated? Was it spur of the moment? Was it for justice? Was it for all eyes on her? We really don't know. But I would love to hear what you guys think in the comments down below. Do you think that Marianne's three-year sentence was appropriate or do you think it was too much? Do you think she should have gotten arrested? Do you think she should and have gotten arrested? Do you think Christian was in on it with that really suspicious reaction? And do you feel like he should have testified? Do you think that if Marianne had never killed Klaus and Klaus was just put into jail, would that have changed anything? Do you think that killing Klaus in the moment was Marianne's only option for justice? Because of this situation, after this and in every courtroom following, there has been extensive metal detectors, and thorough searches through everyone that walks into a courtroom. But yeah, that is the end of today's video. If you guys found this video interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, like my Instagram, that will be linked down below as well as all of the research that I use for this case. So all of like the reports and documentaries and things that I mention and things that I use for this video. So if you want to go ahead and do your own research, all of that will be linked down 
down below. And if you do go ahead and do your own research about the case and you find something that I simply did not find in my research or that I did not mention, make sure to leave that in the comments below because I'm pretty sure everybody here will be very interested to hear what you have to say. But yeah, that is all from me. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Make sure to go outside today, get some fresh air, hang out with your friends, do a little self-care, and I hope you guys just have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I will see you guys next week.